0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us this morning as we try to answer some more of your questions about the Bible. That's the way this program operates. Uh, We take viewers' questions. There's a phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. And You are the ones that direct the program. You tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Our goal is to help people understand the Bible better. and We found out this is a pretty good way just to ask what you want to know and then we'll for answers in the Bible and try to answer your questions for you, and we'll get to them as quickly as we can. So that's all we do on this program. Whatever you've wondered about the Bible or maybe something in your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, we'd be happy to try to find an answer to that. Uh, My partner here, Toby Levering, welcome to... Uh, the program this morning. Toby, I know you are steadied up and ready to go. Glad to be here. Glad to have you with us and ready to answer some of these. And We are going to start with one for our viewers. We always give a little question to see if viewers know some basic Bible. Uh, the fellow came to see Jesus at night uh, because he was afraid of being seen. Uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know who visited Jesus at night. And I think, Toby, you drew the first question today, so we'll let you talk about the thief a little bit.
1: Yes, we, a question we get a lot here on Know Your Bible. And the question is, how did the thief on the cross go to heaven if he was not baptized? All right, well, a viewer has listened to this program or watched, I guess, uh, long enough to know that we uh, stress, as uh, in our understanding of the Bible, uh, that part of the salvation process, part of receiving the grace of God, is simply doing what He said to do. And many times in Scripture, it tells us very clearly that repentance and baptism is necessary, just as belief in Christ is necessary, just as confession of His name and so forth. And so some folks look at the example of the thief on the cross... As an example where, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, so clearly baptism isn't necessary. Uh, Well, first of all, uh, let's start by saying that the thief on the cross was under a different covenant than we are today. Of course, he was living under the old covenant, the time uh, when uh, things were uh, under the old promises and laws given specifically to the Jewish people as part of their covenant relationship with the Lord. So they were under an entirely different covenant, didn't pass until the new covenant until after the resurrection of Jesus, which of course at that time Jesus was still alive. And so that's the, the first thing. Uh, secondly. Uh, in some ways, the thief on the cross is saved the, the, as the way that any of us are, and that is by the mercy of God. Uh, see, the thief on the cross, and uh, I've referenced Luke chapter 23, verse 38 through 42. It, it won't be on your screen, but you can look that up at home. Is the story of a man who was absolutely guilty and had no other place to turn. And while everyone else mocked Jesus, he, he told the other criminal, Hey, this man is innocent. He does not get what he's get deserve what he's getting. And uh, then he asked Jesus to have mercy on him, and Jesus did. And I think think that tells you more not about the salvation process but about the the heart of our Savior and who he is. So a few problems with using this to justify. Uh, if you say, well baptism is not necessary then you're really contradicting Jesus because he himself commanded in Mark sixteen sixteen and Matthew twenty eight eighteen through 20, and of course the apostles taught and baptized many people, uh, the baptism was of course necessary and part of the process. So if we say, well, thief on the cross shows baptism is not necessary, what we're really doing there is saying there's a contradiction in scripture, and we have to take all the verses together and not just cherry pick the ones we like. So the point of this whole thing is we have a merciful Savior, and uh, how we are saved today, of course, and we address this many times, is believing in Jesus, uh, repenting of sins, confessing him as Lord, and yes, putting him on in baptism. Scripture is very clear of that. But ultimately it all comes down to we're saved by His mercy. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two, verses four through eight together. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order to show that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed to us in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God." I hope that clarifies the matter just a little bit
0: sure that's good information for them all right question number two somebody's got an interesting one Uh, wants to know why do some people believe that social security number is the mark of the beast social security number the mark of the beast i don't know anybody personally that believes that but i have heard that some people worry about that and think about it Uh, why do they believe that my first guess would be Maybe they've been dealing with the Social Security Service. (laughs) And they think, man, this is tough. Uh, But I don't have any firsthand experience in that either. And I'm sure the Social Security Service does a good job. Uh, But then, no, that number is not the mark of the beast. Uh, The the whole thing comes down to an understanding of revelation, whether it has happened yet, whether we are in a premillennial age, uh, when the things in revelation are going to co- come to pass, or have they already, uh, we all know your Bible believe that since the book starts uh, with instructions that what's in this book must soon come to pass uh, pass, and at the very end of the book, again he in- iterates that uh, it's going to soon come to pass. We believe it was a prophecy for the folks in the first couple of centuries, uh, warning them about the persecution that Rome was going to bring upon them. And uh, so we don't look to see all those things come to pass in the future. But the the verse, for some people that may not know what we're talking about, is in Revelation uh, chapter 13 and verse 16. Let's look at that together. And it's talking about the the beast and the, the persecution of Christians. And it says, He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So we believe that's a symbolic thing that Christians were persecuted. They weren't allowed to trade in certain ways. They were persecuted in the marketplace by the uh, the government so we think that's a symbolic prophecy there to them that yeah you're going to have some troubles and unless you're a uh, authorized citizen of the and believe that Caesar is god you're going to have trouble working in the marketplace so uh, that's all it is i don't think it's going to happen today and i certainly don't believe social security number is the the key to all of it but some people believe lots of things about the mark of the beast but don't believe it's that
1: uh, good answer Uh, next question is uh, someone wants to know why do you take the lord's supper every week Uh, well my simple answer to that is because it was the Lord's command and it was a practice of the early church. Uh, of course, Jesus uh, in, instituted the Lord's Supper. He actually transformed the Passover feast. He told his apostles to go make preparations for the Passover feast and as they were partaking of it, he transformed the meaning of it. As they took of the bread, he said, this is my body. And as they took of the cup of uh, the, the fruit of the vine, that they, he said, this is my blood given for you. And so he said, you're to do this, um, uh, to to do this in remembrance as often as you drink it. And in Luke chapter 22, this is not going to be on your screen, but you can look it up at home. Luke chapter 22, he said, uh, verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And as you, can, uh, as you do more study, you'll know that the kingdom of God refers to the collection of God's people, the saints, what we might, we might call the church, um, and it's given different names throughout uh, the New Testament. But Jesus said that would find fulfillment there. And so we also know that it was a practice of the early church. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we know that they ate together, that they broke bread together, and that the Lord's Supper was a part of their worship and that they did that every week. I have two verses for you on the screen, both from the book of Acts. First chapter 2 verse 42 says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer." And so we know that was part of the process. Then Acts 20 verse 7, Paul says, "...on the first day of the week we came together to break bread." Uh, Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So we know it was important for the first 1st uh, first century Christians that they met every first day of the week. And as part of the meeting together, they worshiped. And part of that worship was partaking of the Lord's Supper. So it was command of Christ and an example, certainly in the early church. And that's what we find in Scripture about the Lord's Supper. So we believe every first day of the week is a good thing to do.
0: Alrighty. Uh, I've got a question coming up in just a little bit about how to know your Bible and study about Jesus and all that. A great question but before we do that I want to tell you about a course that I think helps us do that. Uh, We advertise this every week and talk about the correspondence course that we're happy to provide free Bible study materials for you. Uh, We know there's a lot of people that have trouble getting started in Bible study, uh, knowing exactly how to go about it and where to start, and they may just start reading and get kind of tied up and bored in some parts of the Old Testament there and decide that's not going to work. Uh, Well, we've got a good way to get familiar with your Bible first and then learn a whole lot more about it uh, through our courses that we'll send to you in the mail. Uh, This is the first course on the screen now. You see it's got eight lessons and it starts uh, with the real basic part, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the first two lessons there. And you learn what they are and why there are two parts of the Bible and the difference between them. Uh, Once you understand that, there's a whole lot of questions that we answer on Know Your Bible that you'll know the answer to. Uh, But then you go on to the other six lessons and then other courses beyond that, more advanced, and you'll know a lot about your Bible. So all that's absolutely free. We take care of the postage and uh, no problem to you except spending a little bit of your time in your own home with your own Bible. Uh, We've had thousands of people over the years tell us how much they learn and how much they appreciate it, and we'd like to offer that to you. All you have to do is log on to the website and tell us you'd like it, or call on the phone number there, and our operators will get your name and address and get it started for you. Now, the reason I wanted to explain that first is because of this next question. A viewer says, how do you get to know your Bible? Uh, I understand the history part But I need to get to know about Jesus. Well, well, great question. And we really appreciate that person's attitude. And I understand what they're talking about. Uh, The Bible is a little complicated in some ways. And you can read through it. And you've got other textbooks and history books. Uh, that help you understand the history of the Bible. The Bible is a great history book, uh, but it's more than that. It introduces God to us. It tells us the nature of God. It introduces all the great themes of life, uh, sin and punishment and salvation, and Jesus who is the Son of God. All of that is in there too, in with the history. Uh, so this viewer says, I kind of get the history part. Uh, and that's that's an interesting thing to study. But much more important is understanding the Bible's how uh, we relate to God through it. So my first advice to this person is sign up for the Bible correspondence course. Uh, you will learn a lot about the Bible and about the contents and the teaching in it. Uh, in fact, there's one whole series of lessons. I forget how long it is, but it's one of the longer ones uh, that just takes you through the Book of John, I believe, and shows you Jesus in that book. So. Uh, great study materials to learn about. But uh, in addition to that, here's what I'd tell somebody that asked that question. First, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the four Gospels. Uh, They are all biographies of Jesus. They're written by four different men, and they're told from a little different perspective. They're written to a different audience Uh, But basically, they're the same story about how Jesus was born, uh, lived on this earth a perfect life, died and was resurrected and went back to heaven. So read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You'll learn a lot about Jesus. In fact, uh, John himself says at the end of his book, he said there's enough in his book that you can believe in Jesus, that you can know he's the son of God and believe in him. So read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Then... The next book I'd read is the book of Acts because it tells about how the church started and how people went out and preached about Jesus. And the great history, it's strictly a history book, uh, but it's got a lot of stuff about the, what they taught about Jesus and uh, how, how the early church started. And then the rest of the New Testament is are called epistles or letters, and they're written to churches, to brand-new churches, and tells them how they ought to act and how they ought to live and how they ought to behave at work and uh, all those kind of things that help us live a good Christian life. And that will teach you what Jesus wants us to do in this life so reading looking for those things i think is the key uh certainly there's other things that help getting hooked up with a good church bible believing church that would help you understand the bible and things like that Uh, but you can read the bible and learn about jesus not just the history about him uh, but what he does for us what where he is now what he will do for us when he comes to take us to heaven it's all in the bible Uh, study it, take the correspondence course. Uh, and you've got a great goal there. I wish wish all of our viewers wanted to get to know Jesus. Great great question. Hope that helps you.
1: I do appreciate the question so much. It's <laughs> interesting. I think you're exactly right. They, you know, starting out with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is a great way to, to see the biography of Jesus. What's interesting is as a viewer reads through the entire Bible, they'll see continual, you know, hints and prophecies about mm-hmm. pointing, you know, even in the Old Testament pointing the way to Jesus since the whole message mm-hmm. points right to him. So the question that they they ask is very astute. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus and what he came to do. Yep. Our next question is from a viewer Ask First 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16 is very hard for me to understand. Please explain. Well, in context, if we look at the scripture, uh, we understand that First uh, Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is entirely talking, Paul's writing and he's talking about those who are in Christ I understand how that can be a little confusing. That's why I gave you the full uh, five verses there, which I know is a lot to read. But it gives us a little bit of context. Paul is there encouraging the Christians at Thessalonica. He's saying, I know that that you're a little uh, maybe discouraged or potentially you have uh, been gotten down by a few of your brothers or sisters who have passed away. Uh, who have died, and you think well, what? What else is there? I mean, I, I thought they were in Christ, and you know didn't have to worry about this. And he's saying, you know, death, physical death, he's talking about, is like falling asleep, and then he kind of uses that that metaphor there. It's, it's it's something that you do for a time, but then at the end of sleep, of course, you wake up. And he's saying we have hope. We who are in Christ have absolute hope and confidence. If you've ever been to a funeral, you understand this concept. Uh, If you go to a Christian funeral of a a beloved saint, someone who's served Christ uh, maybe nearly their whole life and how beloved they were, surrounded by friends and family and people in their church and so forth. And you understand that that funeral is a very different funeral uh, from someone who uh, just kind of floated along through life and didn't really do anything, didn't commit themselves to Christ. Uh, It seems sort of like at the end of their life, it's sort of the end. But we who are in Christ, we have a much greater hope. And so when you go to a Christian funeral for a, uh, uh, someone who has died in the Lord, you just, just almost sense the hope. Yes, we miss them and we're sad. It breaks our heart. But at the same time, we know we're going to see them again. And we look forward to that day. And this is simply what Paul's saying, that those who die in the Lord <coughs> will see them again someday. And we long for that day. And we long for Jesus' returning. So I think that's, that's right. what he's trying to say. <laughs>
0: All righty. A question about dating, and uh, this came from a question we had a few weeks ago about the age of people dating, somebody wanted to know if they were too old or too young to be dating each other. Uh, And so we answered that question, and this viewer called in that day and said, "Uh, the Bible says nothing about modern dating, especially missionary dating, but the Bible does have examples of courtship and arranged marriages. Okay, now I'm not an expert on modern dating. I hadn't dated in a long time. Uh, and my, both my boys are married and gone, so I don't worry too much about dating anymore. But I'm familiar with what this viewer is talking about. Uh, and I understand that there are groups that take exception to the way uh, we let kids date these days just pick anybody and go any place and do anything. <laughs> Uh, and the reference to missionary dating, there is a Christian dating out of the faith, uh, hoping that they'll convert that person by dating them or something. Uh, I'm familiar with that. I understand what the the belief system is. Uh, and I'll admit, if you look at the divorce rates and the uh, uh, out-of-wedlock births and everything else we have today, whatever system we're using isn't working too well. Uh, we're, no, we're not doing well at all. Uh, but still, even not taking that into consideration, I, I don't believe the Bible tells us how to date. I believe that's a topic that's not covered in the Bible. Uh, I know there are examples of somebody finding a, a spouse for a child, uh, and there are examples of arranged marriages in those cultures then, some of the cultures then, But the Bible doesn't command it. It doesn't say that's what you have to do or how you have to do. The New Testament, uh, which talks about how we're supposed to live and live life, and all just doesn't mention it. It's a topic that uh, I understand it. Uh, I understand it's not a politically correct idea to have parents involved in selecting mates and all of that. Uh, I'm not against it. I don't think it's, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it if the family agrees and understands and that's the way they live. Uh, but I don't believe I could ever make a case that the Bible teaches that or uh, constrain it on everybody else. Uh, I think that's one topic that God just let us use our judgment. Uh, We may not be using too good a judgment, uh, but since he didn't speak specifically about it, uh, I think it's a personal choice about how we raise our kids and teach them to date. And certainly parents ought to have a Probably a lot more involvement than uh, the modern world advocates. Uh, so I understand what the viewer is saying, but I don't think I'd say that the Bible teaches we've got to do that.
1: Yeah, that's true on many things, not just dating of course. Yeah. It's just we sometimes have things that we like and that we're comfortable with and we kind of want to find those in the Bible and make our case <laughs> from there. And, and that's really not the right approach. We want to approach the Bible <laughs> and just you know understand some topics are just not addressed. That's one we need of them. to use our judgment.
0: <laughs> That's one. All right. Let me <coughs> Next. take this. Oh, no, ahead. I got to yep. uh, talk about church here a little <laughs> bit. We always try to squeeze this in. Uh, and invite people to visit a Church of Christ near them. Uh, Churches of Christ provide this program for you, and we like to mention a few of them each week that support us and keep us on the air. Uh, This week, let me mention a couple here in central Kansas, close to Wichita, the home church of Know Your Bible, but uh, the church in Sylvia, and uh, there's one down in Wellington. If you live in either of those areas or close to those cities, Uh, You may know somebody that attends the Church of Christ there. If so, tell them you watch the program and you appreciate uh, they're keeping it on the air for you. Um, Now, certainly, if you're looking for a church home and you live in one of those towns or close to one of them, uh, you'd be warmly welcomed. I know you'd find a a welcoming group of people, and you'd find a group of people that think and study about the Bible like we do on this program. Uh, So, drop in and visit them sometime. any area you're watching from. There's probably a Church of Christ close to your home, and we'd invite you to drop in and uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible and thank them for the show also. So visit the Church of Christ sometime, especially if you live in Sylvia or Wellington. All right, now I'll let you go.
1: All right, the viewer wants to know, are there three levels of heaven? And the answer to that is no, there are not. Uh, There are three different ways in which the word heaven is used. And that is, uh, in in Jewish culture, there was heavens, uh, referring to where the birds fly, what we would call uh, the sky. Then there was heaven in terms of where the sun and the stars would uh, reside. We, today we would call that the universe. And then the third one was the heaven uh, where God and the celestial beings reside. And, of course, that is... Probably what this viewer is saying is that heaven, are there three levels of that? And no, scripture does not indicate that as such. Now, some of you are thinking, where in scripture would one get this idea? And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, where Paul says, I know a man in Christ, of course he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And so the third heaven is what Paul's talking about here is where uh, the, the spiritual world and that's all he's talking about. The other, the other two levels would be the sky and then the universe. So that was kind of culturally how to understand the idea of the third heaven. Good question and it's one that's often misunderstood.
0: All righty. A question from Revelation. You read Revelation 2.9 and wants to know who is that talking about? Well context is one thing we talk about a lot on Know Your Bible. Don't just read a verse. Expand a little bit. Uh, If you read a verse and it doesn't make sense to you, read the verses on each side of it. If that doesn't still make sense, read a few more verses. Read the whole chapter. Uh, Even the chapter headings help sometimes give you the idea of what that chapter is about that paragraph is about. Uh, so in this one, let's do that. Start with Revelation 2.9. Uh, it's an interesting verse, but we don't know who it's talking about. So let's read around it a little bit. And first thing we'll see, and let's put this on the screen, is the heading of that little paragraph. It says, To the church in Smyrna. Now, some man that was editing the Bible wrote that. That's called a pericope, actually. Uh, A little heading that tells you what the next section is about. So we know what we're going to read next is a letter written to the church in Smyrna. And then the passage says, "...to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and last." This is the word of Jesus, who died and came to life again. "...I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich." I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So Jesus is talking to the church in Smyrna. He says, I know what's going on there. And when they read it, when they read the book of Revelation, they understood. Oh, Jesus is talking to us. Now, we can learn some lessons from all of the letters there in the first part of Revelation. But it was written specifically to seven Specific churches, and that little part is written to the church in Smyrna. So, read a little context, spread it out a little bit. You can often find the answer to your your question pretty quickly there. All right, speaking of answers to questions, let's see if we can answer the trivia question today. Uh, The question was Who came to see Jesus at night? And hope you and your family figured that out. It was a fellow named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, and uh, he really was interested in what Jesus had to say. And John chapter 3 uh, tells us about him. He wanted to know what Jesus was about. He believed Jesus was special from God, uh, but he was afraid his friends would see him and didn't want the the Mm -hmm. reputation of that. So he went and visited Jesus at night, and uh, Jesus had to talk with him about being born again. We're glad you've been with us today, and we hope you can come back next week as we answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Until then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity we follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a church of Christ near you.